0: or one of the men in the men's ministry, and they can give you more information. Ladies, mark on your calendar the ladies' Christmas party, December the 9th, Thursday, at 6.30 p.m. at the home of Jackie Brooks. If you have never been to her house at Christmas, they've been decorating already for weeks. Yes, and um, I think they are in competition with Disneyland, seriously. So, Really, it's beautiful, and um, so join us for that. There's information um, at the Information Center, ladies. You can get about that and what it's all about. And then the last thing to make sure that you have on your calendar is Sunday, December the 12th at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a Christmas concert with a uh, Tommy Coombs Band. Um, it's going to be, they're going to do half Christmas music and half worship music. And as we have said before, they have ministered with and played for um, uh, Greg Laurie and the Harvest Crusade with Billy Graham, with Franklin Graham, with Promise Keepers, to name a few. They're Grammy Award winning. And it's going to be a wonderful evening together. We, de- we deserve to gather together and just and enjoy something like this this year. Don't you agree? Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. And then now uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to give. So if the ushers want to come forward, you can find offering envelopes in the seats uh, in front of you. You can give by cash check. You can um, give um, on the website, foothillfamily.com, or you can text your gift. The information's on the screens. And um, praise the Lord. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to give and to sow. And we're cheerful prompt to do it, givers, because the Lord is so good to us. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we worship you with our tithes. We worship you with our offerings. And we thank you that you are good and you provide for all of our needs in abundance. You bless us to be a blessing. And the purpose for being blessed, Lord, is to be givers. Hallelujah. And so we declare over our church family the peace of God, the provision of God, and the protection of God in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you heal bodies and raise them up, and you protect us from calamity. You protect us from terror. You protect us from disease, because your promises are true and you are good. And We worship you for it, and we thank you for it. And if you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.
1: Family, after you've had the chance to give this morning, would you stand and worship with us again?
2: with us a special guest this morning, Edward Graham, the son of Franklin Graham and the grandson of Billy Graham is going to be is here with us today and he'll be sharing for just a few minutes about things he's involved in. He graduated from the U.S. Military Academy and served 16 years in the Army. He served through multiple combat deployments, amen, he served through multiple combat combat deployments throughout his um, career, army career with special operations. He left the army believing that God called him to the ministry and uh, for the last several years has been working with Samaritan's Purse in the programs and government Re- uh, relations division of Samaritan's Purse. So would you join me in welcoming Edward Graham? there you go sir,
0: thank you, sir. Appreciate
3: it. thank you very much well thanks for having me and uh it's great to be here i'm here with i love california i'm from the south clearly the way i talk so bear with me maybe we have a translator uh, my mom actually gets mad because i went to school in new york and she thought i lost my accent but i have a lot of uncles out here and you probably know it, but in the South, we have a lot of funcles, fake uncles, fun uncles. And so out here, we got Uncle Dennis Agajanian. Uh, I grew up, many of y'all know, a uh, musician. You talked about Uncle Tommy, Tommy Coombs. Uh, these are individuals that traveled with my dad for years, going out and sharing the gospel around the world. Um, but I also have another uncle here, and I've got Uncle Mark. My kids call him Uncle Mark, but Mark Mitchell's a good friend of my father's, and uh, we had a little motorcycle right up. He said I couldn't say anything about him. But the reason I'm out here is because he did a a charity ride, a fundraiser, for one of our ministries. It's called Operation Heal Our Patriots. It's a marriage retreat we do up in Alaska for wounded veterans. And coming from the military, my dad saw the need, a lot of my friends struggling, being wounded in combat and what that did to marriages. And a lot of chaplains wish they could truly share the gospel in the military or have a retreat like this. This is a first-class retreat where we take them out to the wilds of Alaska. You fly out in a plane, there's no roads. We have float planes out there, we have boats, we take them to see bears. But the whole point is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to really focus in on that marriage. And Mark, being from the Army as well, believes in that ministry and has come along and supported us and helped us out. So I'm very grateful. And what a beautiful ride, but it's hot. I did not expect this from I mean, I know it's California. I think they call it like an Indian summer or something like that. It's more like Indian Hades. It is. It was, it was an interesting ride yesterday, but gorgeous. Man, do you have some beautiful spots out here, and uh, we really enjoyed ourselves. But I was walking, coming in the church, I saw some of your members coming in with Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. Many people know Samaritan's Purse because of Operation Christmas Child. I remember Dad agreed to Operation Christmas Child when I was a kid to help a, a group out in Wales, and he forgot, and a group called and they were like, Hey, how many shoeboxes boxes have you collected? And Dad's like, Well, let me find out, which meant zero. But some local churches, Dad called and they bailed them out, and they collected about 7,000 that year. But Dad saw the vision, but he wanted to be about the gospel, not this was during with Bosnia and the war was going on there, and it was about passing out, and making kids smile with toys. But that's not what Dad dad's all about the gospel. If you're watching, I don't know why MSNBC, CNN have them on because they're going to ask him a question and somehow he turns it into the gospel uh, and be able to share it. And they give him the platform for it. But he wanted Operation Christmas Child to be about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, not about just giving toys out. And when they made that switch, it went from about 7000 shoe boxes to about 11 million before the pandemic. The goal is I think. I'm new. As your pastor said, I'm new to this. Clearly, I'm not a gifted speaker or an evangelist. I do have the big nose and chin. But coming from the military, this part of the ministry I love because it's all about evangelism. Every kid gets to hear the gospel in their language. It's a clear gospel presentation with each shoebox given out. And I love the greatest journey, which is an evangelism portion that goes. So those that make the decision to follow Christ, they can sign up, and 4 million do. So that's 4 million decisions we know right there. Every year, over 4 million that do The Greatest Journey, which is a multi-week discipleship program. And that's where we see community, especially in unreached people groups, it's little kids that lead their parents to the Lord. Pastors build a building. I've gone around several places in South America and Africa. We watch a pastor build a building. It's an empty building. And he said, next year, I'll do an OCC distribution here. I'll need this building for a church the house the church, a body of Christ. And sure enough, they do it. that's boldness because dad will tell us he doesn't do church planning. Samaritan's Purse doesn't do church planning. Well, no one's told Operation Christmas Child that because it's a tool that pastors are using out there. And it starts with volunteers and people packing a shoebox. So thank you. Thank you to this church for the years of doing it and being faithful. We have an office here in Fulton, California, where we do processing. We will need volunteers this year. Um, we need uh, workers, part time workers, especially if you know how to drive a forklift. But we got so many shoe boxes coming in that we don't have enough warehouse space between Chicago, Denver, uh, Cal- uh, here in California, obviously, uh, Dallas, Texas, Atlanta, North, uh, North Carolina, with two, la- uh, two locations in North Carolina. Um, so we have all these warehouses. That's a lot of shoe boxes that we got to get processed into the kids. So we'll need workers and volunteers. But here we also do disaster relief. California you all seem to be prone to a lot of disasters. It's just not south, the south with hurricanes and tornadoes. Um, but we have our equipment, some of our equipment stage out here, and we respond to a lot of fires and a lot of floods. That's all volunteer. It doesn't matter if you think you can run a chainsaw, if you think you can. We've got all female teams out there running chainsaw teams. Um, it's pretty neat. So anyone and everyone can go out there and help. And it's through service, it's all through volunteers, but you get to share the hope of the love of Jesus Christ with these homeowners that have lost so much. One thing I learned about Samaritan's Purse already, it's all about the widow's might. If we ever lose the trust of the widow, we're dead in the water, but it's also about the volunteer. God gives us the best volunteers in the world. And if you know the story from scripture where it talks about talents and God entrusting you with talent, it talks about money there. But I think it's Samaritan's Purse it's the quality of that volunteer that God's entrusted us with to go out boldly and share the name of Jesus Christ. And that's if Samaritan's Purse is not about sharing Christ, I'm not interested. Lastly before I sit down and say thing, I want to share something else we've been working hard on. I I spent years in Afghanistan. I know it well. I spent a lot of places and spent a lot of combat in the Middle East, but I know Afghanistan well. And so when it fell, I knew it was going to fall. Anyone that spent any time there knew it was going to fall. So this was not a surprise uh, when the direction was set to pull a certain number of troops out. We went to Qatar and our cargo plane couldn't advertise it because I'm working on a special operations base. I still got a lot of friends in special operations and we got an invite to go there because he called the commander called angry because little babies were coming off the plane dead, died of dehydration. Mother, a mother gave birth, both the mother and the child died on the tarmat I was like, we can do something about that. So we took our cargo plane, we landed there with doctors and medical supplies, set up uh, tents and we started treating the Afghans there in Qatar, thousands of them. I walked around looking, I went to Germany, we had a large base in Germany with uh, Afghans there. Those bases have since cleared out, but now they're in bases here in the US, 56,000 are in the US alone. And we've been working on those bases quietly. I can't advertise it because Samaritan's Purse, a Christian relief organization, should not be working on these bases but God's put us there and has given us favor with the military. Maybe that's why God had me spend all those years. I don't know, but we've been able to work there and I, we've got great volunteers and team members doing that as well. But these are 56,000 Afghans on bases that have to go somewhere. The U S government said they're going to dump them by Thanksgiving, get them out of the bases. I believe them. I think they will. Will it be the right answer? No. So we're setting up a church sponsorship program where I'm asking the church here in America to sponsor Afghan families. And we've been quietly setting that up because the pipeline I think opens up next week. We finally got approval, got validation through the US government, and we'll start placing families with churches because there has to be training, have to train the church up to it. But all the church, each Afghan family comes with money um, from the government for temporary, for housing, um, for billeting, for food. So we're asking the church find the housing, make sure it's, it's equipped with furniture, make sure the refrigerator's stocked, make sure you get them access to legal, make sure you get them, the kids signed up for school. It's only a 90-day sponsorship, and then after that, once their paperwork's through, they can go wherever they want in the US. But I'm asking the church to be the first thing they see of America is the body of Christ. We could never go, and really, we did work in Afghanistan. Matter of fact, Operation Christmas Child's been in Afghanistan for years, but we had to do it quietly. Afghanistan's come to us, and now we get to share Christ. So that's what we've been working on lately. Um, It's been a busy time, and it's been a lot of work with the U.S. government. So we're praying for that one, and for the churches that are going to be involved. And once those 56,000 are out, we're still working with Albania and Kosovo, where we have bases there. Those are the ones I'm worried about, because they're going to be stuck there for a while. And we're working there and once you get the 56,000 out of here then the u.s government may start bringing in more and we're going to be working in places like canada other countries in europe to make sure they take these afghans in and it's done through the church so be praying for that i just want to end i've talked long enough thank you for this opportunity we can't do it without the church samaritan's purse is not the church we're just a tool and a vessel for god to use to go out and share the gospel it's the church that comes alongside us or we come alongside the church and partner in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not about good works. We're called Samaritan's Purse. If you know the story of the Good Samaritan, we never want to pass by anyone in the street. Like right now, it's the Afghan, where other people may walk past them. We get the opportunity to go over, meet the immediate need of that Afghan, but also set them up with the long term care, like the Samaritan did. He went to the innkeeper and said, Here's some money. I'll be back if you need more. That's the long-term care. The long-term care is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The best legacy my grandfather could ever give me, he couldn't make the decision for me. I had to do that. He also, like I said, gave me that big nose and chin. But he taught me that every word of this is God breathed. Every word of it is true. He didn't understand it. I definitely don't understand it. I'm not as smart as as him. But I accept by faith that every word is true. And it's our job at Samaritan's Purse to go share that. So for this church, thank you. We appreciate the hospitality today and let me be here and let us know if we can do anything for you. We appreciate it, Pastor and Uncle Mark. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Edward. Let's all stand for a moment. We'll give you a chance to change your position. Pull up your pillow. And let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the good work that Samaritan's Purse is doing. We thank you, Father, for the great work that you're doing around the world. And Lord, we thank you that we live in these last days. We believe we're going to see Jesus come. We believe that we're the generation that will witness the sky splitting and our reunion with our Lord Jesus. We ask you, Father, to quicken us by your Spirit, teach us by your Word, and cause us to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. And he says, beginning in verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul is writing to Timothy by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And encouraging us, there's no way for us to know if he had any idea that this letter that he wrote to Timothy would be saved for the church. But God knew and the Holy Spirit knew. And in saving this for us, it gives us a mandate to pray for our government and the leaders of our government. Now folks, we all know that it's sometimes easier to pray for the government than it is at other times. Sometimes when government officials are prone to obey the things of the Bible and the direction of God, it's fun to see those things. It's fun to pray at those times. But I want to draw your attention to something here that Paul's saying. Whether he knew this or not, he's encouraging Timothy and Timothy is a pastor of the, uh, of the church at Ephesus. I'm sure he's encouraging Timothy to get the church involved as well. But he is, in effect, praying for the leader of the Roman government that will put, put him to death in just a very short time after these things were written. The church has a responsibility to pray for Godly and ungodly leaders. God would certainly have all men, be, all men to be saved, but He wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth too. I' remind you in John chapter eight, Jesus is teaching or speaking to a number of the Pharisees and the Jews that believed on him because they saw the miracles. And as he's talking to those believers, He said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Jesus made a distinction between believers and disciples. So he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So God not only wants people to be saved, but to be free. He wants us to go past just the decision to make Jesus our Lord and Savior and enter into the family of God and to walk in the truth. To walk in the truth. Things have been different in the body of Christ for the last 18 months or so. In 2020, with the things that began to take place concerning the COVID pandemic. And I'm not sure if it's legitimately called a pandemic or not. So forgive some of my terms if they're not specifically accurate or most accurate. But beginning in 2020, the devil stepped up his work against the church. I've talked to a lot of people A lot of pastors, a lot of ministers, and their churches were affected differently by the coronavirus. Some of the churches grew as a result of the virus. Other churches are struggling. Some churches are struggling with attendance, some churches are struggling with finances. It's been a concerted effort by the enemy to separate people from the body of Christ. Or at least to separate themselves from fellowship with other believers. T.L. Osborne, the great evangelist, made a statement that I'll never forget. He's since gone home to be with the Lord now many years ago. But he said this. He said the banana that gets pulled away from the bunch is the one that gets peeled. And if there's anything taking place in this modern day, it's the devil trying to separate people from fellowship. Paul warned against it, writing to the Hebrews. He said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And it's been difficult with me, for me, Beginning in 2020. To know just exactly what God wants me to do. I have never before in my life. Struggled with topics. About what to teach or what to speak on in church. But I don't have the same. measure of direction that I used to have one thing I know is that Paul talking to the church talked about the last days as being perilous times that word perilous is translated dangerous in many translations but the root of the word really means strength reducing And it's obvious and certainly true that the devil is operating against the church in such a way as to attempt. He doesn't control it. We do. But he's certainly attempting to reduce our strength, to take strength from us. And so I focused a lot on authority, the believer's authority in the name of Jesus. I've focused a lot on God's promises and the application of strength spiritual strength and I almost always come up with some Old Testament example of God doing miracles and showing himself strong and I want to do that again this morning for just a few minutes but I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1 I'm sorry Jeremiah chapter 29 We'll beginning in verse 1 Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 1 now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon skip down to verse 4 Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all those that are carried away captives, whom I have caused thee to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters. And take the wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that they may be increased there and not diminished." And seek the peace of that city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives. And pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall you have peace. Verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. Neither hearken to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I have that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I want to read verse 11 from the NIV. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, And not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Israel is being carried away into Babylon. Because they had turned their back on God. And had not kept his word. And the Old Testament is full of times. Time after time. Where God sends word to the people. Through a prophet or through somebody. A leader. Not to turn away from the word of God but to live according to the word. Because if they didn't, they would be carried captive, taken away captive by an enemy. And time and time again, Israel failed. But when they're taken captive and subdued by Nebuchadnezzar, this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's empire was the Assyrian empire. the Bible tells us concerning Daniel and the three Hebrew children that went with him they were carried away under the city of Babylon they were taken care of by the the king's servants they were to be indoctrinated and taught the wisdom of the Chaldeans with the intended result to send them back to the conquered lands, in this case in, to Israel, so that they can be the king's representative and be loyal to the king. But there were some, certainly not everybody was carried away, and so there were people left in Jerusalem and people left in Israel, but under the domination and control of the Assyrian Empire. And there were people in Israel. And I don't mean this as a criticism, but there were people in Israel at that time that wanted to make Israel great again. Nobody likes to be under control or dominion of somebody else. And so they were looking for the opportunity for their position and their nation to be restored. Now, folks, this is a common theme that goes back to Israel throughout all of the Old Testament history. You'll remember that many people came to Jesus, or certain ones at least, came to Jesus during his earthly ministry and asked if this was the time when God would restore the kingdom. And Jesus had to tell them over and over again, my kingdom is not of this world. They were looking for government to be the answer. They were looking specifically for the restoration of a free government to be their answer. And there were times where people would speak, perhaps not attempting to deceive anybody, but genuinely believing that God had given them the words to speak, that would prophesy to resist the Assyrians, to take back their land, And God is, through the prophet Jeremiah, addressing that. Notice in verse, I think it's verse 8. Let me look again. Verse 8, it says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken you to your dreams which you caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely, unto you in my name I have not sent them saith the Lord folks one of the things we're going to have to be aware of in these last days to a much greater degree probably than ever before are those that speak or claim to speak for God but instead they're prophesying out of their own hearts Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Folks, you know me. We've been here for 36, 37 years. You know me. I'm a law and order kind of guy. I believe in personal responsibility. I was... um, I was called for jury duty several years back. And anybody that's presented themselves for jury duty knows what a delight that is. (laughs) And I was called into one of the courtrooms, and they were selecting a jury. And they had some preliminary information about all of us. And there was a case that was coming to trial where there was a person that seemed clearly, through his actions and through the things that he said, seemed clearly guilty of the things that he was being accused of. But as I was being questioned by the attorneys to see if either side wanted me on their jury, The defense lawyer, the defense attorney, looked at his sheet and said, Well, Mr. Webb, I see that you're a pastor of a church. He asked me some questions about the church, and I answered them. And he said, Surely you're in your capacity as a pastor. Surely you speak a lot about second chances. And I said, Yes, sir. I guess I do. And then I added, but I also teach them personal responsibility. Now that's what I found to be the quickest way out of a courtroom that you'd ever have. (laughs) It was within seconds that they dismissed me. So as I started to say, if you know me, you know I'm a law and order guy. I believe right's right and wrong's wrong. I don't see all the gray areas that so many people seem to live by. And there are things that have happened in this country over the last several years where the greatest joy of my heart would be to see some people perp walked for betraying their country. revealing classified information and any other number of things. I would dearly love to see some people go to jail. I would dearly love to see America restored. I would love, well, I'd love to see our country come back. And I want that so much. and I know because it's right and because it's true, it's easy for us to logically reason that God would want that too. But folks, the Bible in telling us about the end, particularly in Genesis and uh, Ezekiel, chapter 38 and chapter 39. America has never been more in line with end-time results and end-time activities that the Bible tells us will take place than we are right now. I hear some talk about the red wave that's coming in 2022, the midterm elections. I would love, dearly love to see that take place. Assuming the people that we vote in office will take action and govern according to what they say they believe and say their positions are. But I also have to be smart enough to question if that's what God wants. We've seen some things happen in the last number of years. Well, really going back 40 years ago to the 1980 election where Ronald Reagan was elected president. There were things that took place during the Reagan administration that turned the, literally turned the clock back on the end times. There were things that were underway, things with evil intent that were slowed down and in many cases were stopped because we had somebody in the White House that was willing to govern according to right and truth. We saw the same thing maybe to an even greater degree in 2016 when Donald Trump came out of nowhere and was elected president of the country. I believe with all my heart the 2020 election was stolen. I believe with all my heart that there's no way in the world for 80 million people to have voted for Joe Biden (laughs) so what do we do the Bible mandate hasn't changed the instruction of scripture to pray for our leaders doesn't change just because we get a wicked leader in there So Daniel, being one of the ones that were carried away with the three Hebrew children, were aware of Jeremiah's prophecy. Jeremiah 29 that we just read happened in the early days of the takeover of Israel by the Assyrians. And so Daniel and these three Hebrew children who are living in comfortable circumstances, a part of the king's palace at least, and taken care of at the direction of the the king of Assyria, Nebuchadnezzar. But these three Hebrews, these four Hebrew children probably teenagers when they were taken captive, determined not to defile themselves with the king's meal and the things that the king was serving to them that were contrary (coughs) or in opposition (coughs) to the law of Moses and the dietary restrictions thereof. So they asked the schoolmaster, so to speak, if they could be given food that was according to the law of Moses, and the schoolmaster didn't like what he thought would be the result, he said, if you look to be, appear to be not as healthy as the other ones that are eating the things that the kings provided for them then I could lose my head and uh, lose my job and lose my head so Daniel prevailed on him to give it a try for 10 days and at the end of those 10 days because they put the word first in circumstances and situations where they might have been comfortable but certainly not the place that they would have preferred to be. They'd rather be home with their families. But even in difficult circumstances, they chose to put God's word first in their lives. And as a result, at the end of the 10 days, they were fairer and fatter in flesh than the others verse 15 at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in the flesh than all the children which did eat meat Each eat the portion of the king's meat thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse pulse is some kind of vegetarian concoction or dish or whatever and as for these four children God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams folks the things that I'm trying to get across to you what I believe that the Lord would have me to share this morning is simply this here doesn't matter as long as you are here because you know God called you. Where you are does not matter as long as you know that God, you're in the place that God put you. It can be comfortable, it can be uncomfortable. It can be a place of blessing, it can be a place of adversity. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. They may be circumstances of abundance or circumstances of lack. But here only matters when you know that you are where God puts you. Daniel chapter 2 goes on to tell us about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He had a dream but didn't remember the dream. He just knew that the dream upset him. And so he called all of the wise men These people that had been a part of the school that Daniel and the other three Hebrew children were a part of. And when he called these wise men to him, he told them about the dream or told them just very simply that he had had a dream and that it upset him and he wanted them to tell him what the dream was about and they said well okay tell us what the dream was and we'll interpret it for you and he said I don't remember the dream tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means well all of the so called wise men that he had said that's impossible nobody can tell you your dream and then interpret it for you Only God could do that, and God doesn't live in in flesh. Daniel finds out about it. Petitions the king for a little bit of time. Goes back to the three Hebrew children, the three friends, and they pray for God to reveal himself. And so Daniel came to the understanding. God answered their prayer, and he came to the understanding Of what the dream was and what it meant it was a dream about world kingdoms the giant statue whose head was gold and silver for the breast and arms and so forth and in the dream a stone which was not cut out by hand destroyed this Representation of the world kingdoms. And then that stone became a mountain as a representation of Christianity and the work of Jesus. So once again, Daniel was promoted for being able to answer the king and the three Hebrew children we're placed in positions of great power and authority in the kingdom of Assyria. In chapter 3, it tells us some more about these three Hebrew children. It tells us that Nebuchadnezzar built a golden statue of himself. And the declaration went out to the people Daniel chapter 3 verse 5, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall be the same hour cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Well, news came to the king that these three Hebrew children wouldn't, were not obeying his edict. Now, the edict was an idol worship mandate. They were mandated, commanded specifically by the king that everybody is on several times of the day supposed to bow down to his image and worship him as if he were God. So the news comes to the king that there were these three Hebrew children that would not serve or worship the golden image which he had set up verse 13 then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and they brought these men into the king now notice the first part of verse 13 Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury this guy is not used to be challenged this guy is not okay at all with somebody refusing what he commanded to do. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake unto them and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready at the time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, But if you worship not, you shall be cast into the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? Now, folks, notice something. Here's Nebuchadnezzar talking. There's two ifs and a question. Two ifs and a question. He said, now, if you be ready at what time you hear the music, And as a result of your readiness, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. He says, we'll start over. We'll wipe the slate clean. Act like none of the rest of it had happened before. But here's the second if. If you worship not, you shall be cast into the fiery furnace in the same hour. And here's the question. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, we don't have to go talk it over. We don't have to come up with an idea or a game plan. We've already prepared ourselves for this when we heard about the image that you built and the requirement to fall down and worship. We are not careful to answer in this matter. Folks, we need to be prepared for what we're going to do in these last days. We don't need to wait until something happens and then figure out how we're going to operate. Now remember, these were the children that were taken captive and in the school where they were being trained and taught They determined to put themselves first or put the word of God first and foremost in their lives. They've already decided that no matter what comes, they're going to keep God's word first. They're going to honor God's word. So they said, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, if what be so? If they're cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had two ifs. If you fall down and worship when you hear the music, then we start over, wipe the slate clean. But if you don't, we'll throw you into the burning, fiery furnace. And remember his question, who shall deliver you from my hands? So they deal with that one first. If it be so, if you throw us into the burning, fiery furnace... In other words, our God in whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O King. But if not, if you don't throw us into the burning, fiery furnace, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, folks, I grew up in Baptist Sunday School and the Baptist Sunday School taught us that when they respond when the three hebrews children respond their response is well if you throw us in the burning fiery furnace we believe god will deliver us but if he doesn't we're still not going to worship your image now folks isn't that a given (laughs) i mean if god doesn't deliver them Who's really concerned about whether or not they're going to worship the the golden image? Their declaration is the answer to your question, King, is that God will deliver us. So if you throw us into the burning fiery furnace, God will be on our side and God will deliver us and God will set us free. But if you don't throw us into the burning fiery furnace, we're still not worshiping your idol. Now, folks, for all of us, there is a line that cannot be crossed in good conscience. I don't know what that line is for you. I know what it is for me. But I don't know what that line is for you. But concerning the three Hebrew children... Nebuchadnezzar crosses the line to mandate and require everybody to fall down and worship his image. They simply take the position that we're not doing it. Now they don't go pronouncing themselves to the king and declaring that they're not going to do it. They just go about their business and about their everyday lives knowing full well that if they're caught and brought before the king And questioned about whether or not they're worshiping the the image. They can, in good conscience, worship something else other than God. Now, notice the king's response. He is full of rage. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, if this is just a simple response by these three Hebrew children, something to the effect of, well, we believe God will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still not worshiping your image. If that were just a casual conversation, then Nebuchadnezzar's plan of action is simple. Let's throw them in see if they're delivered or not. But the fact that he's full of fury and inflamed with rage over their response is clear evidence that they're simply refusing to obey his command, no matter what the consequences are, or no matter what waits for them as a result. Nebuchadnezzar is full of fury. And he commanded that he should heat the furnace seven times more than it was ever been heated. He commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind them and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their hoses and their hats and the other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, The flame of the fire slew those men, the the mightiest men of his army, slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. And then they came forth in the midst of the fire. And the priests, princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw those men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. And have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which shall speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and the Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made in a dunghill. Because there is no other god that can deliver after this sword. Then the king promoted the three in the province of Babylon. I cannot escape the one thing that has been constant. Not really starting with the twenty the twenty twenty calendar but it has been impressed upon me more and more the further that we go and that is you cannot overestimate the importance of being where God has for you to be now when you look at some of the things that the devil does and the way that he separated people and his attempts to s- separate people and you see some of these things when you remember back to the lockdown i don't mean just being people being separated from church but all the things that came about and were de- that developed As a result of no contact with other human beings, man wasn't made to be alone. And when we see all these things that are taking place, it's important for us to know that we know that we know that we know that we are in the place that God has for us the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 28 I believe that Jacob was in the midst of a famine the land that he was in was experiencing a massive drought And as a result, famine. But he sowed in that land of famine. And because he was where God had put him, God gave him a hundredfold increase. When nobody else's crops would grow, his did. And the reason for that is only given... That he was in the place where God told him to go. His father Abraham. Had experienced a famine. And he went down into Egypt. And Isaac some years later. Finding himself in the next famine. Said that he'd go to Egypt too. But God told him not to. So the place of God's will for his father. Was in Egypt. Egypt during the time of famine and so Isaac just assumed I guess well when my dad experienced famine he went down to Egypt so I guess I should go too but God stopped him and said I want you to stay here now it'd be nice for us to assume hopefully to expect that God's not going to call us to stay in a place of famine. But whether we are or whether we are not. If we know we're where God told us to be. Then the famine can't hold us back. The place for Joseph. Was in Egypt. Egypt. Not by his own choice, but because his brothers sold him into slavery. But in Potiphar's house in Egypt, he prospered. And he walked in the favor of God. And when the false accusations were made against him and he was thrown in prison, his hearers certainly changed. But he prospered in the prison Because God was still with him. One of the things that's held me steady throughout the years during times of adversity that the church has experienced, there were times where the pressure was so great that I told the Lord, I quit. And he very kindly, very simply said, okay, where are you going to go? And I had to say, there's nowhere for me to go. This is the place that I'm supposed to be. And I can't tell you how knowing that this is where I'm supposed to be has been not only a comfort, but it's been a place where I was able to stand because I knew that God sent me here. Now, I know not everybody's convinced that God did send me here, (laughs) but I am. Over and over again, God uses people that are in difficult situations, difficult places, places where it would seem to be impossible for God's blessing to show forth, but because they were where God told them to be and because they stayed where God told them to be and because they wrote out whatever difficulties or whatever adversities or whatever problems were associated with where they were supposed to be, God has come through every time. There are some people in the body of Christ that don't believe God is faithful because they don't believe he, They don't see his faithfulness shown to them. But many times because those people didn't see or the reason that they didn't see the faithfulness of God shown unto them is because they wouldn't say steady and stay put. If God puts you in a place and you or I or anybody else takes herself out of that place, He's not obligated to give us his best because his best is always in the place where he puts you and intends for you to stay. It doesn't matter where here is as long as you know that here is where you're supposed to be. I believe with all of my heart that we're going to see the church grow in the last days by signs and wonders and miracles. I believe we'll see miracles of healing. I believe that the fruit of the spirit will come forth or the fruit of the uh, precious fruit of the earth as identified in James 5, 7. will come to harvest and we'll see healing miracles. We'll see financial miracles. We'll see miracles we haven't even thought about what to call them. Because we are where God wants us to be. I'm watching people on every hand try to move to places in the country that they think are better. But folks, just like Jonah, couldn't outrun the the call of God on his life. You can't outrun the devil in the last days. The important thing is not what place in the country is more pleasant for us to be. The only question there is, is where has God put me? If you'll stay put where God puts you, you'll see his best in such a way that it'll be beyond anything you ever thought to ask for or to think about. That's the work of the kingdom of God in these last days. And we need to renew our minds to the word to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Because where he puts you is where you'll be blessed. Blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've called us to do. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to live in these last days. But even more than that, Lord, we thank you for what we were, are about to see take place in the earth father I've always trusted you to be clear about what you have for us and where you have for us to be and as a result we've seen your faithfulness in many many ways So we refuse to fear because you're with us. We refuse to be dismayed for you are our God. You have helped us and will continue to help us. You have strengthened us and will continue to strengthen us. You have upheld us and will continue to do so. by the right hand of your righteousness for it is in your righteousness that we are established affliction is far from us for we do not fear and terror shall not come nigh us no weapon formed against us shall prosper And every tongue that rises against us in judgment, we will condemn. For this is our heritage as children of God. And our righteousness is of you. Thank you, Father, for always seeing us through. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Don't forget about the Thanksgiving feast. I'm sure they've got things set up. Welcome to it.
0: Yeah, as we said, if you didn't bring food, we have plenty, so please come and eat. Uh, we're just going to, when Pastor Mike will just uh, dismiss everybody, and if you'll just find a seat at the table, then after we're in there for a little bit, there's some bread on the table and stuff. Pastor Chip is going to pray with us over over the meal, and then we'll dismiss everybody to uh, to eat table by table. Oh, and if parents, just could you please oversee your children? Because, for example, we got really sturdy plates. But if you don't oversee your children, they'll pile their plates real high with food, far more than they'll ever eat.